0: You're listening to American Girl Women with Laura Tretter and Lindsay Adams-Franca. This is a podcast where two millennial gals gather around the microphone and reminisce on the cultural phenomenon that took our childhood by storm, American Girl Dolls. Contrary to what you might think, we aren't just talking about dolls here. We're diving into the high highs and the low lows of getting hooked on American Girl and all the childhood memories that come flooding back. So join us and a few special guests each week as we become American Girl Women.
1: Today on American Girl Women, we are joined by Allison Harex and Mary Mahoney, professional historians and co-hosts of Dolls of Our Lives, the incredible American Girl podcast, which explores the AG book series in depth with knowledge, wit, and humor. We are so excited to welcome them back to AGW to discuss their new book, Dolls of Our Lives, Why We Can't Quit American Girl, which is available now and fully immerses readers into the many facets of the American Girl brand. We truly couldn't put it down, and if you're tuning into this podcast, we know you're going to love this book just as much as we did. And at the end of this episode, we'll be playing an audio excerpt of their new book. Allison and Mary, we are absolutely thrilled to have you here with us today. Your podcast and now book really bring the magic of American Girl back into our lives, and we can't wait to dive in. So with that,
2: welcome to AGW thank you so pleased to be here
0: thank you for having us we should be saying welcome back to AGW because this is actually our second interview with you both and we're so excited to have you back especially because we have a very important purpose behind our podcast today don't we Lindsay
1: we absolutely do. Allison and Mary officially are authors as of today, as they launch their book, Dolls of Our Lives, Why We Can't Quit American Girl. And it is truly such an honor to have you both back on AGW today. We had such a great episode earlier this year, learning about your experience and journey with the brand And to have you return under this circumstance is just so incredibly exciting.
2: We're so thrilled to be here. I mean, I think it was, I don't know if it was a historian or Kelly Clarkson who said some people wait a lifetime for a moment like this. (laughs) And I know we've already been here this year, but again, (laughs) another moment like this. (laughs) Oh Oh, my goodness. To say that
1: your book is a must read for anyone interested at any level in American Girl, I think would be an understatement. I honestly think this book belongs in a time capsule to be opened hundreds (laughs) of years from now (laughs) and to learn what really captured the hearts of girls in such a specific time period, like on the precipice of the internet, like the before times, and the impact that this brand really had on our generation. And you explore AG in its entirety from... The multifaceted founder, the inspiration behind the company, all the different ways to interact with the brand and its triumphs, and with that, examining its flaws and complications as well. But could you just start off with telling us what inspired you both to write this book and why the timing felt right to launch it?
2: We were very fortunate in that we were actually approached by an editor at Macmillan whose sister told her about our show. Um, then she started listening. So I feel kind of insane admitting this, but I know so many people who want to be writers, myself included, you kind of pine for the opportunity, you think like there's gonna like you're gonna have to get so many rejection letters and all these things mm-hmm. and You know, that's certainly true of other areas of my life, but in this instance, she actually slid into our DMs and was like, have you ever thought about writing a book? And then that kind of started that journey. Yeah. So we've been working with our editor, Kat, and she really helped us along with our agent, Lauren, to kind of make this book happen.
0: Did you ever think when you first started on the journey of your podcast that maybe there's a book here maybe one day we could leverage this into a book being that you know you both work in the field of history and there's certainly a historical component absolutely to american girl did it ever cross your mind in your early days of recording
3: i think honestly we talked a lot about what it would mean to write a children's book Mm. like i think that felt a lot more Mm -hmm. possible or likely maybe probable is the word I'm looking for. I don't think that we imagined doing this because we both had just finished graduate school. So we'd both written cumulatively something like seven, 800 pages to finish graduate school. So like book was not top of mind (laughs) (laughs) unless it was
0: like a, we were like, oh, a 55, 60
3: page American girl book. That seems like a really good idea. That seems Mm. like something that could be interesting And that also probably seemed far-fetched four or five years ago because American Girl was not cranking out the historical style books like they are now again. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of come full circle where like they actually are doing that again. But I don't think that book was top of mind. I think the podcast was really meant to be its own
0: thing. And then this
3: just kind of organically happened.
0: That makes so much sense. And do you feel like Well, and maybe this was something that you discussed when you were approached, but do you feel like you knew immediately. This is the direction we want to take the book and touch on all these different facets of pleasant company and American girl as a brand plus your own experiences or did the two of you kind of workshop that with your editor over time.
2: I think it kind of evolved. I mean, also, we should say that the writing of this book took place over COVID. So the mm. pandemic had not happened when we sold the book. So we sold a version of the book where we were going to go on trips together and like think about things involved in Pleasant Company in spaces that were relevant. So we still do that. We would go to Colonial Williamsburg, which is the place that inspired Pleasant Rollin to create American Girl. And that was a lot of fun. And we learned a lot. And it was great to write about that. But, you know, we did have to change the book. I think something that we have maintained is we always kind of saw it going over the classic six book arc, which is how the book is structured Mm -hmm. Um, and including our stories, but also importantly, not just being our stories, because I think on the podcast, we've gotten to share so much of our stories. And what's been really special is all the people who have shared their stories with us. And we wanted to kind of tell a kind of generational story or generations, you know, including Gen Z don't want to participate in Gen Z erasure. (laughs)
0: no of course not and something that I loved about the book is that you included a lot of community testimony from people who are still engaging with American Girl listeners people who worked at American Girl shout out Aubrey Andrus love that (laughs) she got included (laughs) Um, what was it like sort of digging into your community to sort of partner and sharing some of these stories? Did you learn anything that was maybe surprising or that you hadn't thought about before?
2: A major source of stories for the book and and for studies of American Girl, and we'll have to find some way if we can share this somehow, is we have a feature of our website where people can share their story and they can grant us permission to use it in writing or on the show. So it's a great resource because, you know, we have such a rich um, accounts of people's stories that they wanted to share with us and allow us to share in the book. And we're so grateful for that. But what's so great about that is there's so many experiences that are not our experiences. So people Mm -hmm. who grew up as immigrants, who related to American Girl in a way that's completely different from us, obviously, born in the United States. And that was really fascinating for me to read about, in addition to trans readers, like relating to Felicity as part of, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking Mm -hmm. back on their history, um, transitioning and, and the role Felicity's story played in that. I mean, all of that was really fascinating for me to read and just really generous of people to share. One thing I love about the stories that you
0: included, especially the one that, you know, covers how in that specific instance, there was a trans person who was relating to Felicity and the representation that was being, you know, played out through American Girl earlier in their childhood. I feel like it's so, what what I love that this book does is that it brings you know, we all know like our own individual stories with American Girl and to a certain extent, like Lindsay and I's stories follow a very typical trajectory of, OK, like I was a six year old girl who was given a Samantha by my grandmother. And that's very special in its own way. But I think that there are so many stories out there that have, you know, not really been explored or tapped into the that- mm-hmm are similar to that that maybe like would be surprising or you know don't follow the usual the usual path of you know a a young girl being gifted um a doll by their grandparent or something of that kind or or like you know someone not living in the united states like interacting with american girl we had um someone on our podcast who was from sweden and had like a very lovely story of how she got into American girl as a high schooler mm. and i think that i think that those stories like are great because they take us outside of that you know traditional arc of like oh you had to engage with american girl as a female identifying person as a child from the beginning like from mm-hmm. the pleasant company days like it just really shows there's more than one way to fall in love with this brand. And even if you weren't there for the Pleasant Company era, you can still appreciate it and take part in it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like the way that Pleasant Company and American Girl gave us the foundation and Mm -hmm. really let us then experience the brand in different ways, I think is so impactful. And uh, reading the book and seeing all of these different experiences really kind of reinforced this kind of like in between kind of zone. Like it wasn't just the books, the dolls, the magazines, like there was so much impact and so much significance in what you did outside of the tools that you were given. And like, maybe it's coming from this place on like, you know, seeing it from the other side and kind of like this liminal space of nostalgia even, but I Mm -hmm. feel like AG is so rooted in emotion and feelings and the moments outside of the face value offerings that really connect us so closely, like on an emotional level to the brand. And I love that you wrote about a speech that Pleasant gave to young girls during Felicity's launch event at Colonial Williamsburg. And you noted that she didn't speak about the importance of the American Revolution or history, but really leaned into the emotional value of this moment and girlhood in general. I would say I pulled this quote, which I loved saying years from now, you may not remember the details of these stories, but I assure you, you will remember the experience of loving the American girls and being absorbed in their life and times. Pleasant understood that it wasn't just about the brand or about these stories. Like it was so much more beyond that that she
2: recognized. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know if you've gone and watched the video that's on YouTube. that that comes now we
0: we have to (laughs) But you said it it, it gave you chills like it did (laughs) honestly
2: like it made me choke up because the quote that you shared is so was so like really hit me where I live on the Mm -hmm. surface level because when we started the show we did not remember the plots of the books at all like can't stress Mm -hmm. that enough so it was sort of funny like wow you know we could tell anyone that it meant so much to us and made us want to be historians and all these other things but Right. Um, I couldn't tell you the facts of the books. I mean, we thought Felicity lived in Boston and maybe was a servant (laughs) for John Adams. Like, I mean, I was like so out of pocket on what I thought was going on in those books, but, and then to read that speech or hear her say, it it was like, oh my Mm. God, like she, she planned this. Like she, like what happened to me is what exactly what she said would happen in that speech, which is that what has stayed with me is how it made me feel like, and in her stories and in the first chapter, a lot of it is The bridges the brand offers to people in your life who you love and and Mm -hmm. be able to strengthen connections with them or the language it can give you for your own feelings and your experience. Like maybe you don't feel like you're the right kind of girl, air quotes, and maybe the stories help you or the magazine make you feel like, you know, more comfortable in your own skin. And that feeling is what she knew would continue. And, you know, she goes on to kind of predict a kind of matrilineal, like, descendants of the goods and the stories and all of that. But I think, you know, that feeling that can stay with you. I mean, that, that really touched me because I I feel like it's true.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I feel like with Pleasant, especially like, I'm so curious about your research process into her because she seems so enigmatic. She's truly so elusive. Like
0: as <laughs> Erica Jane's tagline on the real housewives of Beverly Hills, she's an enigma wrapped in a riddle and cash.
1: <laughs> and cash. Yes. <laughs> oh and my cash. God. So oh my God. It's true. so funny. But like growing up, like I was not interested in like a brand's founder by any means. Like I would skip through her letters in the catalog. Like I wouldn't ever seek out like an interview with her but you know <laughs> but just she... put her on blast wow sorry <laughs> I mean at, at the she... time now I no understand like yeah but yeah. like now it seems like she's this like mystical person where she's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. But I was able to learn so much about her from your book. And I would love to hear what the process was like researching Pleasant. And also, did anything surprise you about her past or any of her work?
3: I think part of like an angle that we took with that aspect of the story was a lot of people have this idea that things were pre Mattel and post
2: Mm -hmm. And that
3: that's like not really the most like useful or interesting way to think about American Girl and that there's a lot in the pivot towards American Girl becoming a lifestyle brand even Mm -hmm. before it becomes, you know, something owned by Mattel. Like to me, I think that's one of the more interesting aspects of this story because people who've studied it as like a consumer thing as on a brand level and a lot of fans are very invested in saying like, well, everything changed after Mattel. And I think what you see when you look more closely is like Roland and her peers and Valerie Tripp had like a certain vision in the eighties. And to me by like 94, 95, they'd already completely changed that vision. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Like they'd already completely changed like the scale and the ambition. And like, to me, there's almost something like there's this added layer to what she's saying where it's like, if it really just is like about a set of feelings, it's like, you'll never be able to stop buying. Mm-hmm. Because there isn't like one thing that you can buy and feel complete. <laughs> you right. know but yeah, you can always continue accumulating because it's like, well, it's about chasing a feeling, you know, and there's kind of right. a dark side to that too. You know, there's a positive and there's right. a dark side. Um, mm-hmm. like you'll never have enough, right? Like you'll always kind of still be looking for more. So she didn't limit felicity to like five objects. It's a world. Mm-hmm. And you can mm-hmm. endlessly buy stuff to build a world damn it
0: capitalism i'm not a hater i'm just a celebrator it's smart it's smart it's i think it's layered i think you're so right allison like i i definitely you know appreciate sort of the way that you guys tell the story of pleasant sort of just taking her team and being like all right yeah we've uh sold to Mattel and uh, I'm actually out of here peace <laughs> I'm
2: out of here I'm not looking back I mean I do think that it's interesting watching the Barbie movie come out this summer like the kind mm-hmm. of enshrinement of the founder or like the romanticization right. of the founder and we actually read a biography of the founder of Mattel and there's a scene in the movie where it's like we find her in this like imaginary like her ghost in this imaginary kitchen that like mm-hmm. inexplicably has a sewing machine on the kitchen table and I'm like I don't understand what's going on but like and it's sort of like she's very domestic and you know kind of folksy and it's like that is not who Ruth was like Ruth was Mm. like basically I'm gonna find a bit found a business because I do not want to be home and be a wife and mother in the 50s traditional sense right pleasant it's like interesting that pleasant kind of has a similar trajectory where she becomes associated with to some people, a conservative vision of girlhood or womanhood. And yet her life is such uh, the opposite of that, right? Like we find that she's an early, she's a teacher. She starts off as a teacher and then becomes a reporter and a television reporter in the seventies. And these early profiles of her that we found are absolutely wild because they just write about her in such openly sexist ways that men Mm -hmm. are never subjected to even now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you can see how her own life, kind of presents this, you know, opening for something like American Girl to exist. And yet, you know, she also won't embrace the label feminist, even though she espouses many of the goals of at least seventies feminism. So it's, she has a very interesting life story. And then to go to Colonial Williamsburg on vacation, which again, none of us have ever gone on a vacation. I won't speak for you two. and emerged with a business plan. Like that (laughs) has not happened to me. Okay. And you know, like I'm not not saying it will never happen. Thank you. But like, I'm just saying, it hasn't yet happened to me. And she leaves with a business plan where she's in a place that's like in many ways fabricated to look like a version of the past that suits the people creating it, right? out of a very sincere desire to preserve and appreciate and study history. In her retirement from American Girl, she's basically now buying up a town called Aurora, New York and doing a very similar, you know, project to Colonial Williamsburg. And my kind of enduring question not answered by the book is like, does she have self-awareness about it? Like, does she know what she's, does she see it? Right. Right. Well,
0: yeah. And like, I think kind of going back to what Allison said about how the transitions were happening with the brand, even while Pleasant was still at the helm of it. At the end of the day, I think like what her just dropping everything and walking away from the brand shows us is that she, I think we want to like maybe romanticize and maybe, or maybe like we don't, know the answer to this like you're saying but how much she really like cared in the aftermath about preserving you know i think the legacy has done fairly well for the brand but she clearly was like now i have to go focus on these other things and i think you know what we want to believe just knowing how much thought and inspiration she had um mm-hmm. put into the brand is that like you know she's kind of like peering out from behind the bush like that kim kardashian (laughs) gif being like oh like what's mattel doing with like my baby like this this like idea that i found and it kind of seems like in actuality she's like no i'm actually like buying up this town and like buying a pipe organ for the madison symphony that
2: has
0: (laughs) like the biggest pipe organ in like the history of the united states and i'm also like buying mckenzie child's the brand like she she's done so many things without even acknowledging that american girl exists since the transition happened that i feel like it's almost like it's not what we want to have out of her, but she also seems mm-hmm. like a very private person. So we don't know if perhaps, you know, she is spying on what mm-hmm. Mattel is is doing a little bit more closely than, than we're aware of. It's just, I, it's hard to know the answer
1: right and I think too like what she has done beyond American Girl is so separate from the brand she created and I imagine Mm -hmm. there was so much emotion tied to American Girl from the speech that she gave like from all of these different elements in the world that she created with these Characters, it's hard to imagine that she wasn't like deeply invested in Mm -hmm. not only like a success from a business standpoint, but also knowing the impact that it was going to have on young girls growing up in the 90s and 2000s prior to selling it. So it's interesting that she went such a different direction and. Kind of going back to her roots with Aurora, I always wondered about what the town thought about that. But in your book, I <laughs>
2: <They> <laughs> didn't Aurora, Aurora yeah. was pleasant before to pull the bumper sticker <laughs> that they sell. In what a Aurora. burn! I mean, damn. Like I love a pun, but to burn someone with a pun is like, wow. So evil. So twisted. Honestly,
1: honestly, but it is, it is such a cool thing that she's doing. Like, honestly, I'd love to be alongside pleasant, like restoring a town in that way. And no question. It's honorable,
2: but I mean, the amount of money I would give to receive like an angry voicemail from pleasant about like (laughs) literally anything, like just to hear her hot takes. I would love it. Oh, my God. Honestly, did you ever consider I,
1: reaching out to her in the process of your book? Absolutely not. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like you don't meet your heroes, you know, yeah. or or something there. Like, I, I feel like maybe part of the reason why it's so fascinating to like, pick apart and analyze her relationship with the brand is because she's just so inaccessible. I kind of feel like we get like some secondhand insights through Valerie Tripp. Valerie Tripp loves to be chatting about like <laughs> the the legacy of the brand. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, some things we had in mind like going into the book were like one, we weren't going to rehash anything we've done on our show. So if you go mm-hmm. to read our book and want to hear, think you're going to read about what we think about the books, like that's not really in the book because we talk about that a great detail on the show, but also we didn't really want to talk to anyone affiliated with the brand because we weren't really interested in a corporate history of what they did like in corporate speak more what we did with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was kind of a conscientious decision. I mean, are we also afraid to confront a person who we've multiple times accused of creating serial killer plot lines <laughs> in the American girl <laughs> books? Like maybe, I don't know. I don't speak for Allison.
0: <laughs> no, I feel like that, comes through in the book too like it's very much i think in line with all of our relationships with the brand that like we don't want to necessarily like have like the polished up i don't know like it's like the authorized versus unauthorized biography Mm -hmm. like you kind of want the tea and and you know you want people's unique experiences and i think that you know if if pleasant were to tell her own story, I feel like we wouldn't get quite as many hot takes um so I think that it's it's worth it to like sort of keep her on her her pedestal off to the side before. yeah
2: definitely
1: <laughs> involving pleasant doesn't leave as much room for closely examining something and giving it like a critical eye and criticism
2: mm-hmm mm-hmm.
0: Now, that being said, if there were a old school Catholic church like confessional environment where <laughs> Pleasant was on the other side of that like screened in window, is there anything that either of you would want to ask her and she doesn't know that it's coming from you and it and you're the <laughs> only one that hears it and it doesn't get spread?
2: wow (laughs) sorry i mean you know the catholic imagery laura like i just didn't expect that tonight um
3: so her face is a model right for the dolls and i think that we can all bring like different assumptions to what that means and like why someone would do that but i am just curious like i think you know, there's a lot of expectations of people about like child rearing in society. And I think there's a lot of projection of like, this brand is her baby or this brand is her child. But I think it would be interesting to hear from the source about decisions to make things in your own image, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think this is a spoiler, but in the Barbie movie, right? It is a very like, there's a lot of like Christ-like moments, right? Or almost like, you know, the human and the creator when Barbie meets Ruth Handler and sort of like, different like conversations and thoughts that she has about becoming fully human or like staying, you know, kind of in Barbie land. I would be curious, like, what would be a reason that you would do that? And it might be as simple as like, well, why not my face? Right. And that, that's a perfectly valid, you know, they're beautiful dolls. They're captivating dolls. But I think I would be curious, like in an unguarded moment, how someone would answer that question.
2: Oh, Mm, sure. Such a good
0: question. After I read that in the book, I was like, how did I not realize that? I mean, it's not like so obvious, but then when you like go back and you look at a picture of Pleasant and you kind of think (laughs) of the American Girl faces, (laughs) they do have a lot of very similar qualities.
2: (laughs) It's wild. Like once you see it, you can't unsee it, I think. So, yeah, (laughs) I think that would be an amazing question. I think for me, my question would be a lot pettier, which is, you know, like when Valerie Tripp turns in the draft of the Kirsten book where Kirsten and her brother happen upon a dead body in a cave and decide that they're going to steal the corpse's possessions and the editors to take things a step further decide of any scene they're going to illustrate in the book that we're going to get an illustration of a dead body frozen in a cave Pleasant gets that draft, like what were her first thoughts and what the hell happened that Pleasant didn't pick up the red nuclear phone and say, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, oh, I want to know what was going on God. behind the scenes for Valerie Trips. like, I'm working out some personal stuff, like kind of having a midlife crisis, <laughs> like the dead body in the cave is a metaphor for me, like Pleasant, you have to let me have this. And she's like, okay, like, I don't know, but... Like, I don't know how to answer that for that. You know what I mean? Like what happened there? You know, is that a question for Pleasant? I don't know, but like what happened?
0: I would love, I would love to know, It. you know, what that really like begs the question of Mary is what I would love to be a fly on the wall for their one-on-one meetings. Like, because Thank you. clearly there's a rapport there. Obviously we know that they had known each other prior to American girl, but I, i have to like see the two of them interact like it would satisfy such a need in me and that would be I such a, a like, great in, example
2: in my head i see them like in an 80s mall like meeting up in a food court and they're having lunch and they're just like looking around like judging everything and like they see a kid with a teddy ruxpin, and they're like that teddy thinks it's so hot and they're like it's <laughs> so inappropriate it's
0: disgusting <laughs> oh my god <laughs> in in my like vision of that scenario pleasant is absolutely where. Wearing, like a skirt
2: suit with shoulder pads <laughs> and a
0: pastel color, yes. and Valerie's wearing like an all linen ensemble,
2: all white. <laughs> and, and one of them casually drops that they have plans with Tipper Gore later that day. Like, it's just, right. it's oh so my much. God. I thought way too much about it. It's probably I need to be pulled back.
1: Well, that's <laughs> a great question you have there, Mary. I think too, it's like pretty remarkable like the amount of time between Pleasant's visit to Colonial Williamsburg and then the launch of an entire brand from doll creation to book series to, you know, getting everything off the ground. I am like so curious what that like length of like speed to market was that must have
2: like been (laughs) so fast. I mean, I think it was like 18 months or something like that. And I mean, I think she did have her phonics company prior to this and had other entrepreneurial endeavors. So I think, you know, she had the acumen, she sort of knew how probably to get things going. I'm speaking like I have any personal experience in business. I do not. (laughs) So I mean, I, I can't give you a practical answer. But I mean, it is very impressive, right? Like having three
1: dolls launch in this amount of time, i mean kirsten she might have just been like fuck it what i'm like, <laughs> yeah. like, the Yolo. books don't make
2: sense but we're rolling with it like Belle's going through <laughs> something like we're not going to talk about <laughs> it like it's fine also going back to like
0: allison's like must ask question i would love to know the in addition to, like, the thought process in, like, going behind, like, creating a doll in your own image, but, like, then, yeah, like, what's the pitch like in the 18 months of development that's mm-hmm. happening where it's, like, um, and by the way, you might notice that this doll has a little button nose and very, <laughs> like, square jawline and that is because <laughs> of The way that some
1: have said it's
2: a pleasant face, like I don't know.
1: (laughs) Honestly, though, it is like a very nice looking doll. Like even, like thinking about
2: looking doll, yeah, right. I mean and we actually just spoke to Mary Wiseman who we interview in chapter two Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we just interviewed her for our show she's going to be on um, talking about you know the length of her career and she is a character with a capital C like she had us (laughs) laughing for like an hour and one of the things that she I mean she's a huge pleasant fan and, and got to work with her and one of the things she said was like with the development of the dolls there was a lot of research into like how kids could be able to interact with them physically like could they be Huggable, so I mean, like, there the scale of the research into how kids could like hold the dolls and and hug them and carry them around, like, it, it seems like it was pretty extensive. Yeah,
1: I loved reading about the development process of Felicity through Mary's experience. That was such a highlight of the book to get those insights and hear like how she aligned so well with Pleasant's mission of championing storytelling and centering in on the personal to bring history to life. And mm-hmm. that was evident through her career and also Pleasant's. And that was, that was such a fascinating uh, chapter to read.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a generational story there that's really interesting of like Mary herself didn't grow up with anything like American Girl, and then she forges her own path in public history and becomes, you know, one of the singular people inventing character interpretation at Williamsburg and interpreted Martha Washington, like for many years and ends her career at Mount Vernon doing so and Um, you know invents a lot of different programs and you know ends up playing this really important role in creating a a doll and a character in a story who would then go on to Mm. influence other women and men and um, to become start their own careers in public history and like really helps create the thing she herself wanted as a child so I thought that was a really beautiful kind of like arc.
0: One thing I really liked about that part of the book in particular is that Lindsay and I recently interviewed somebody who brought her daughter, who I believe was like around seven or eight to Colonial Williamsburg and had saved her dolls to pass on to her daughter and actually made like a whole gifting moment out of it so she received her mom's felicity as a gift ahead of going to Colonial Williamsburg and at first her daughter was a little bit discouraged because she felt like she should be getting more recognition <laughs> that she had felicity <laughs> with her at Colonial Williamsburg and I think you both kind of get into it in the book a little bit that times have changed. There's other Colonial Williamsburg dolls now (laughs) um, that that they have to engage with, but somebody did actually acknowledge felicity when her daughter was carrying it and that was martha washington in colonial williamsburg so it was just nice to hear you know full circle sort of from one of our recent guests and how even though it might not be happening as often as it did at felicity's peak you know pleasant's intentions and you know the thought and attention to detail Mm -hmm. that the staff at colonial williamsburg is putting in on their end as well as still sort of creating that magic for kids today so i just you know loved reading that part of the book having just had that interview because it was just so meaningful
2: that's so sweet
0: honestly. And I feel like, you know, that also like sort of goes into, I think it's a little bit after the part about um, Pleasant making the speech about, you know, the intention behind not just Felicity, but the dolls in general. She has like a little, there's a little anecdote about her going with her mother to Chicago and the experience of that together. So I feel like that's sort of the experience that this listener and her daughter were having in Colonial Williamsburg Mm -hmm. through Felicity. So it's like, not just, you know, the experience of the Living History Museum, but also that that mother-daughter or aunt-niece or grandmother-granddaughter connection continuing to flow through.
3: There is so much pressure when you give a person a doll because so many people are not doll people. And like I come from a family of like doll givers and doll collectors, so I gave my niece her first American Girl doll last week, and she climbed under the table in fear. No, (laughs) oh my goodness! And my whole family was like, "This is a very important special toy," and she was like, "Not to me."
1: Oh
2: my goodness! (laughs) Was Was it an
3: American Girl doll? So she was given a Molly, which she is definitely too young for, but she loves baby dolls. And it's interesting because a lot of, I I find this like my older dolls, I do think they're kind of like comfortable. I've played with them over long periods of time. Mm -hmm. The new reboot dolls, they are very rigid and she's Mm -hmm. baby dolls. And so I think the fact that Molly could stand, you know, 18 inches tall straight up on her own, like alarmed her. Mm. Molly was just standing oh. there looking at her and she was like no thank you and went underneath the table and everyone was like this is a very beautiful doll and she's she like very quickly came to be interested but it's so much pressure like I think with our generation now trying to get a new generation tapped in mm. Right, mm. you can't put too much pressure on the moment and I was like that's okay like she'll learn to either kind of vibe with her or not but she's currently a bitty baby queen so we're (laughs) now like bitty babies you have
2: that yeah Yeah. I have that so
0: (laughs) I feel like you touched on it a little bit in, in the book it's like you want them to have that same experience but you can't you know it has to be organic you can't force it and not you know not everybody certainly like our listeners have told us like oh yeah like i showed my historic doll to my daughter but she like wants one with blue hair um so <laughs> it, it like comes in many shapes and in sizes certainly <laughs> like the reaction right. of the next gen but mm-hmm. it, it seems it does seem like and i don't know what determines this it does seem like um some parents or relatives are successfully passing on their dolls as heirlooms in the way, you know, Pleasant intended to the next generation, which is great to see. But I do feel like there's such a fundamental difference between like those historic originals and like a newer doll today, because like the purpose is just different. It's not like one is right or wrong, but it's just different intentions, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. And there, there are so many different ways to experience the brand now. And it's coming with a lot of, uh, for lack of a better word, history behind it and the emotional attachment that you know people who are introducing it to their kids, it has a high expectation around it. And we've talked to a guest recently who had to reckon with purchasing something for her daughters, but then kind of owning it for herself and being like, actually, mm. this is for me. And yeah, you know, I think that is something that you have to kind of grapple with when you are introducing it to the next generation. Like, how Mm -hmm. much of this is for me and how much for them to experience it in this way?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a really hard thing to try to like force, I guess, for, and we, you know, like as you've all been saying, and I think one of the interesting kind of inheritances of it for me is. Not watching people pass it on to the next generation, but people who literally like grow into adulthood and re-engage the brand again in a completely different way. So like we have a chapter in the book um, that's about, you know, adult fans and how they're remixing the stories to make them more inclusive or like to meme them or, you know, we need an American girl, a doll who like that kind of thing. And I think for people who couldn't afford them growing up, like buying them for themselves as adults has like a different meaning. Um, but also just like unexpectedly, like finding it again as a, in adulthood and realizing like one, as adults, you're still allowed to play. And two, like it sort of seems strange, I guess, to discover that this brand might still have some role in your life as adults. I mean, we're not in a position to talk, like all of us are here on a doll podcast, but like, (laughs) but I mean, I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that, you know, I think Pleasant was thinking like, as your child, you play with toys, then you grow up and you pass them off. But like, what if in fact, like you want to play your whole life and you still want to keep discovering who you are your whole life?
1: Absolutely. And Allison, totally. something that you wrote in, um, the book really resonated with me and touching upon that sentiment. Can I quote you or is that weird?
2: No, it's not weird.
1: I, I just love this so much saying that you were glad for at least a while. I grew up and out of American Girl. It was something I could return to with great pleasure after accumulating other life experiences. I much prefer American Girl as I understand it now through the experience of adulthood, the knowledge of a historian, and as part of a community of global friendship. I had chills when I read that mm-hmm. because that just so deeply resonates with like returning to american girl and you know not necessarily considering that i would ever be on this path again laura i don't think you know <laughs> after you know putting our dolls away when we were younger and being able to return to it in this extremely meaningful way that is bringing us back together with ourselves and with an entire community and it's just really impactful that that there's such a lasting impact there
0: Yeah, and I think something also touched on was that, you know, it might never feel the same way to get back into American Mm -hmm. Girl that it did when we were kids, but it can be different, not better or worse. It's just a a different way of experiencing it. And I, I wholeheartedly agree that I feel like I prefer the understanding that I've gained of how important it really was now in hindsight, and also understanding some of the finer nuances of the books that I did not
1: before. Allison, I would love to explore that a little bit more with you. And here, kind of, at what point, like, did you come to this realization? Because as, you know, we were talking about earlier, um, you know, not having super strong memories of, like, the book plots before really diving in. Like, at what point were you, like, Seriously, like considering these thoughts about what the brand meant to you?
3: Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I think honestly, part of where that sentiment comes from was we've met so many people who've been lifelong fans and lifelong collectors specifically. And, you know, we've loved things like a peek into the pantry, which is a, a very long running vlog, right? Or people who've been doing this for a very long time. And I think when we first started, part of what we were trying to do is to say, like, what do we bring to the space? And that part of what we brought was fresh eyes because we hadn't been in it. Like, we didn't remember every detail. We hadn't been, like, right up front with our collections. And so we thought people might enjoy that kind of process of rediscovery, of saying, like, what happens if we took a break and we looked back? And I think it would be easy to misinterpret that as saying, like we're somehow different from lifelong collectors. It just happened to be a thing that we put to the side for a little bit. I think American Girl just kept coming up with increasing frequency. We loved accounts, um, you know, like Once Upon an American Girl, we loved I Am Excessively Dollverted. And we thought there's like something here to looking back at the books, but we've been doing, you know, some version of this now for about five years. So, you know, kind of like, you know, throwing around ideas and then starting the podcast. But really, that goes back to 2018. So, mm-hmm. you know, a good number of years of actually kind mm-hmm. of revisiting this and almost coming up on as much time as me loving it as a kid. <laughs> so almost like two equal mm-hmm. eras, mm-hmm. so to speak.
0: Wow. That's actually so crazy to think about because the the time frame for American Girl for kids is fleetingly brief. And I think today, I would say it's even briefer just like with the amount of things that are out there. So it is kind of crazy to think about how in its sort of revisiting you've been into it probably as long as you were before. That's so that's that's a mind fuck. I'm just gonna say, <laughs> <laughs>
2: sure.
1: yeah. Um, and I think I think it also takes ownership too of this notion that like things that are relating to girls and girlhood interests like aren't to be taken seriously. But I think we you know talk about this uh, on our podcast from time to time. But says who? You know, mm-hmm. and people claiming that it is important and that there is substance to it is, you know, made more and more impactful by people revisiting their interests and bringing it into their um, adult lives.
2: Mm absolutely yeah i mean i I think we mentioned this in the book but there's been a comic-con for how many years and there's no Mm -hmm. ag con um like no man is embarrassed to say they are invested in the marvel Mm -hmm. universe and have been since childhood because those movies make millions of dollars like obviously there's this market for it and i think there's an equal market for things that have been tagged as like girls interests or women's interests and but they're often demeaned. And I think, you know, there's, there's an increasing call out of that, but I think it's, you know, worth repeating.
1: Definitely. And I think, you know, especially after this year with the Eras tour and the Barbie movie, like we're moving mm-hmm. towards this place where we could openly appreciate and indulge and really reconnect with things that we just gravitate towards.
3: I think you're spot on. I always have a doll at my desk at work and I love having minis. And I always like right now it's been Kit because like she's working full time. And in like (laughs) a reverse of how I think things often go, like newer male colleagues now have all these like bobbleheads and like Legos and all these other things. we have Mm -hmm. a park ranger Barbie who's like permanently in residence. And I think like people like these things and they're enjoyable, like they're pleasurable things to look at and to play with. And I think something I've kind of grappled with, right, is I can enjoy all these things. And when that SNL skit came out, right, about like the man who wanted to, it was Travis Kelsey, actually, who was, you know, playing the man who wanted to enjoy the day at the American Girl Doll Cafe. I think so many people reacted so poorly to that, right? Like, I think it was actually really in pretty bad taste, you know, representing it. And I think part of it is we are not trying to take what children enjoy. We're just trying to enjoy the things that we enjoy. Like we're not trying to take over, Mm -hmm. you know, someone else's space. And I think it's so cool for people of any age to see an adult, like fully embracing something they like. Right. So if a younger colleague is like, Oh, I can have my, it's a, it's a baffling like pirate, like tableau he's created with like Jedi's. If that makes him happy at work where we're like underpaying him. Great. Great. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, and it's not about like taking over. There's so much infantilization of millennials where it's kind Mm -hmm. of almost like, oh, we'll let them have toys because they can't have a house.
2: Mm. I don't think
3: that's right either. But, you know, that SNL skit, it hits such a nerve with me because it's not about like us all wanting to like hang out at Chuck E. Cheese every day. It's saying like there's a lot of space for people who all enjoy the same thing to not be the same age
0: sure so true i think that lindsay and i talked a little bit about the skit when it came out on the podcast because as i'm sure happens to you both given your platform anytime something comes out related to american girl every person in my life sends me that like the video or whatever and there have been two american girl snl skits one that i found somewhat funny Um, Although I think it, like, really boiled American Girl down to, like, very simplistic principles of, like, the trauma that they go through. Um, But the one with Travis Kelsey at the American Girl Cafe, like, annoyed me because I was like, this is just, like, misses the point, like, of the renaissance of American Girl um, Mm -hmm. or, like, this, like, reinvigoration, rather, of it. Like, it, it completely misses the intention behind adults enjoying engaging with american girl and it turned it into something like unsavory and like maybe even like creepy or something like that and i just Mm -hmm. didn't love the way that it was portrayed now i understand that in trying to explain that to some people they're like it you know just doesn't necessarily click with them because they're not engaging with it Maybe on the level that, you know, we all are. So I understand like why some people would think it was like funny and like be like, oh, yeah, that's like so silly. Why would a grown man be at an American Girl Cafe? And it's like, I don't know, why wouldn't he be? Like, Mm -hmm. especially if like it played some kind of role in like finding his identity. And yeah, I don't know. I had a lot of feelings about it too, (laughs) as I've clearly have demonstrated, (laughs) but I'm so glad you brought it up because I I feel like, yeah, sometimes like it gets misinterpreted, I think especially, Mm -hmm. and I I don't think that would happen if we were talking again, like Mary mentioned about like a Marvel movie or like Mm. a Lego or Hot
1: Wheels thing. Right, it's so true. And I think these are, Potentially the first time that we're having these conversations as a generation, we have more exposure to seeing the lives of people through social media. Like, you know, in high school, didn't know anyone who was 30. I didn't know what their life looked like (laughs) at all. Like, I could not tell you, but there isn't that great divide that I once had anticipated that there would be. And we talked about this when you came on our podcast earlier this year that, you know, Being in my mid thirties looks a lot different than I thought it would be, you know, growing Mm -hmm. up. And I think there's so much more joy in that than I thought there would be. And I think having access to, you know, seeing different communities on social media and seeing like people explore these like niche topics, like (laughs) it's so, it's so interesting now that we have this accessibility and to have these conversations about like what is maybe age appropriate or like what should you be interested in at this you know point in your life and I mean going back to like thinking about attending like a Comic Con and why isn't there that for American girls like mm-hmm. I am sure there would be so many people that would be interested in this, if it exists.
2: Yeah, I think the development of BravoCon is sort of an interesting moment of something that is geared towards women, generally speaking. I know there's Mm -hmm. a lot of men who attend as well. I did not get to attend, but I have friends who did.
1: Mm -hmm. and they
2: felt like it was a moment where they felt seen where it was not only about going and seeing the cast of some of the bravo shows but just being around other people who like the kind of stuff that they like and you know maybe striking up friendships with them and that kind of thing and i think you know that certainly has been a real joy of american girl and adulthood for us as well you know yeah that's such a good point about bravo con i feel like
0: it just again, proves the case of the fact that there is an audience ready, willing and able to engage on a large scale like that about American Girl or another nostalgic topic, if <laughs> we gave the opportunity it actually segues kind of nicely, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the OGAG call to community, so Mm -hmm. the original generational American Girls, um, and you guys talk about sort of towards the end of the book about ways to create community around American Girl with adults based on nostalgia. Um, talking a little bit just about, you know, how you connected with American Girl in the past, seeing what others remember. In your own lives, have there been any, you know, friends or family that have approached you and said, like, you know, now that you're doing this, like, oh, hey, like, I want to, like, bend your ear a little bit about, like, American Girl. Maybe not listeners, but people from your past that have come out of the woodwork.
2: That's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I mean, I weirdly, like I've been, I've gotten DMs and messages from people I went to school with years ago who have like reached out to me because I had one person in particular who was listening to the show, I guess, for some period of time. And then, like I guess, after what she called an embarrassing amount of time, realized that she kn- she knew me, like that Mary <laughs> was the person that she went to school with like years before, and um, you know, so she wrote me a really lovely message, and we kind of messaged back and forth, and it, it's it happens a lot with people I don't know as well who say, you know, like this is what came up for me listening to your conversation about. Josefina, or, you know, whatever it might be. And it's, it's really nice. I mean, it's, I learned about things about people that I've known my whole life just because they're sharing with me about how they feel about American Girl.
3: We got featured in our alumni magazine for our graduate mm-hmm. school, University of Connecticut. And that pulled a lot of people out who maybe didn't quite know like what we had been doing the past few years. I think it's interesting too, because this isn't what we do all the time. Mm -hmm. right? Like this is like Mm -hmm. one facet of like one set of things that we do. And so I always think it's interesting when people kind of strike on other interests or like Mary will post that she's giving a talk on bibliotherapy at a library or on zoom and people in our discord. I think there's also an interesting disconnect there because we're characters in their minds who do American Girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like on some level, they understand we have like another life, but we're, this kind of like set of people who do a certain thing. So I think that's been really interesting. Like having people in my life who still know nothing about American girl and like maybe never will. And then knowing (laughs) that there are people who will send me like a nine page equivalent DM about Kirsten. So (laughs) that, that's kind of an interesting thing.
0: Totally. Uh, What really like resonated me about you know one of the prompts that you had in here with reconnecting with you know friends that also loved american girl was that's uh, in a way that's how lindsay and i started because we worked together and i knew her you know somewhat like in a friendly way outside of work from time to time but more just like in our day-to-day work interactions we're never talking about american girl until one day we did (laughs) and you know a whole like lifetime later here we are but it it's it has like inspired me and i think definitely lindsay as well because we've had some of both of our childhood friends now come on the podcast to talk about it it's so interesting to like you learn about a whole other part of these friends' personalities. Um, Like some of my childhood friends, like we didn't engage about American Girl. Like I had some friends that I did engage with about it and some that I didn't. Or, you know, maybe friends I made in high school when we had already kind of grown out of it for the time being, but now I'm learning about them after the fact and what role American Girl played in their lives. So I just think it's, you Mm -hmm. know, such such a good, Call to action to be re- re-examining those relationships, and you know we've had similar um, outreach from our community as well, which has always been just like so nice to hear. It's like the nicest community ever. These Instagram AGIG <laughs> folks—they're so they're so wonderful.
1: They're so sweet. I love the call to community as well because it really just kind of represents like like taking all the best parts of American girl and what really encapsulated the joy and bringing like friends together or discovering things about yourself. Like you don't get these moments too often, like trying new recipes, going to take a little field trip, you know, Mm -hmm. speaking on a level that you might not get the chance to with somebody and Mm -hmm. really putting these into practice I hope that a lot of people who are reading your book take it upon themselves to further explore um, these actions.
0: Yes. And we need like an American Girl like retreat or like summer
2: day camp. Like, <laughs> right? Because... We've had people actually suggest that to us who do that kind of thing for a living, like put together conferences and stuff. And it feels like a huge undertaking for us to take on. But I would love for somebody to do <laughs> oh. this because- oh. Lindsay's Me. ready you're nominating we, yourself okay, Nominating myself that. let's we've make this happen about it yeah. <laughs> we've
0: we've talked about it a lot because like there's so many well first of all like Lindsay's very into like crafting which i feel like I, is a big part of the american girl <laughs> experience i was
2: just gonna say the other night i just watched um theater camp the movie that's it's streaming yeah. on hulu right now have you guys seen that I haven't seen I've it yet. seen previews. Oh my but, God. Yeah. Okay. Highly, highly, highly recommend. And I, it's just filled with so much joy, but what it really communicates to me is like that feeling of being around people who are into the thing you're into and you don't have to apologize for how weird you are yes. about it. Like you can just like freak flag is like firmly out. Like you're just like, in their case, they're channeling Sondheim at like lunch. Like, I mean, it's a lot, but it's, <laughs> I love the passion. And that was never specifically my thing. Like I had friends who did summer theater productions. I've seen way too many productions of Bye Bye Birdie than I cared to admit. (laughs) Um, And that's, there's like a Bye Bye Birdie callback in the movie. And that was triggering to me. But I always wished that there was something like that for me because I love crafting too, Lindsay. I don't know like what direction yours takes. If I could turn my camera around right now, you'd be horrified. Like I moved and I'm like, (laughs) I mean like my office and it's like a psycho amount of like weird crafting materials but like I like to make books for fun like that's my like and do different Ooh. crafts but I'm, like if I could go somewhere and craft with people but also talk about the Donner Party but also talk about you know 90s pop culture and like watch a Julia Styles movie like I would be at peace like that's what I that's what I want. I love that. Should we
1: make this happen? Like, I'll I'll get started on it after this call.
2: (laughs) I'm ready. I mean, put out a call. I'll put out. I'll put it on our Discord, and somebody will contact you because we have people who periodically want to do this. But um, yeah,
0: no, it's and to your point, it doesn't even have to be about American Girl in that sense. There's, it's just about like gathering with like-minded people and having a safe space to engage on topics that probably aren't coming up in everyday life like Julia Styles,
2: but <laughs> which should come up in everyday life I mean I think a lot of the intention behind the call to community is like to kind of you know drive people towards each other so a lot of adulthood unfortunately is like not necessarily like fun practical details of day-to-day life like going to work and so many mm-hmm. responsibilities that aren't fun and you know just like desiring that connection with other people and play and 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 also like learning about your community and taking part in it and really hoping that you know people take up that challenge like even just to find meaningful friendships in adulthood which i know is a challenge for a lot of folks and sure you know like finding space for that i think that's really important
0: yeah a hundred percent i i can say from firsthand experience that because i've moved to la um last year uh american girl and our podcast has helped me literally make friends here and um so great. it's it's so crazy to think about it because it's like one of my closest friends here was a guest on our podcast she makes very funny american girl TikToks with her kirsten um her name's abigail gabble on TikTok, yes. but um <laughs> you know we barely talk about American Girl. Like now when we hang out, like it comes up, I would say actually it probably comes up once every time we hang out, but compared to, you know, how we got started, right. like it's just right. crazy how like American Girl was the door, but like mm. the room is made up of many other other things in common. So I think, you know, it's, it's just great to have like, you know, at least one gateway where you're like, hey, like, you liked American Girl too, but also like we probably both liked all these things as well. So I think that it's great to like acknowledge that it's okay and actually encourage to have those types of like conversations that as kids just float so easily, but as adults too, like we can mm-hmm. be still engaging on those childhood commonalities. Totally. Question for both of you. If there was one thing you would like a reader of this book to take away, what would that be?
3: Something that's different that you may not be expecting. We talked a lot to people who never owned a single thing that was put out by American Girl, have never owned a single thing produced by Mattel or any of that. And I think we can all think a little bit more about like what the stuff that we own says about us. And I think even if you are not a participant in the American girl world, there is something in this book for you about, or if you never were a consumer, there's something in kind of like this process of thinking about what it's meant to a number of people that you may find interesting. We have this kind of funny experience of like, are my audiobook producer, the lawyer who vetted this book, various people have been like very much not American girl consumer types. And they've said like, this book was funny and I was surprised. And so we take their feedback, you know, like males over the age of 60 very seriously, because I think there are things that will surprise and please you, even if you were not of this generation
1: definitely it's really like an anthropological look into a brand from the 90s targeting girls like i think it really is a cultural moment that Mm. you even if you don't have experience directly with the brand you would absolutely find fascinating
0: and it's full of pop culture zingers too which (laughs) i enjoyed
1: (laughs) truly
2: (laughs) tried (laughs) <laughs> we tried, You know, I think something, I don't know, the people can take away is that I think at its core, one of the things that has always fascinated me is sort of thinking about why we love the things we love and what does it mean to be a fan of something? And I think through the show and through the book, we've kind of tried to just say, look, we love American Girl. It's been hugely important in our lives. And loving something means, doesn't mean you shouldn't be afraid to ask tough questions of it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that can be part of it. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing enterprise. And it can still be something that you have like a clear eyed view of while also being feeling deeply sentimental about to the degree that like I teared up when Pleasant told that story about like her mom squeezing her hands three times. Like, I mean, I think about that all the time and it's like, you know, that has to mean something. Right. A hundred percent. Ugh, I can't wait to give the book to my mom so
0: she can specifically read that part and then wait for her to text me telling me that it it
1: brought her to tears well, too. I don't even <laughs> know if I
2: want to share this detail because it's like so cheesy. So I apologize in advance. Like I'm I'm a Leo. Like you guys know. Like you guys know what it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, like thinking about the kind of relationship you can have with the brand that I never would have anticipated as a child, which is why it's more meaningful as adulthood is like. My wife read that chapter of the book and now like periodically, like we squeeze each other, like if we're out on the street, like I'll squeeze (sighs) her hand three times and she squeezes mine. And when every time that happens, I think like I never could have anticipated as a child that this would be like what my adulthood looks like, but also like pleasant never anticipated that this is what people would use her brand for like two lesbians <laughs> who love each other. Like, it's just <laughs> like, but it kind of just shows like how like beautiful to me, like it is that, you know, yes, she said those words told that story and had that experience with her mom. But like, I have an equally beautiful experience with my wife and like how great that the brand gave us both of those things. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Oh, I I love that connection back to that story. I think that's so
2: powerful. I'm a huge zap and like I really try to hide it. <laughs> and I don't even know why I try to hide it. It's like, right. You know, well it is well, what it is, you know.
1: The gems that Pleasant gave us and continue to uh
2: Ooh. impart our way. You I know, know. It, you know she's created a lifestyle brand that has probably launched fewer lawsuits than Goop. And for that
1: you can say Thank you. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, Allison and Mary, would you be able to tell
2: our listeners what you have planned for the launch of the book? Absolutely. If you live near Boston, please come see us at Boston Public Library on November 9th. We'll be having a conversation and signing books. We would love to meet you. And if you live near Connecticut, you can come meet us at the Connecticut Museum of History and Culture on November 16th. And stay tuned for any other announcements. You can go to our website, dollsoforourlivespod.com, and we'll be posting a list of book events there.
1: Incredible.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you
1: both so much for joining us today. It is truly such an honor. and. It is just absolutely incredible all that you've done for American Girl, the community, those who are revisiting the brand maybe for the first time since childhood or who have always been a part of the AG community. We're just so, so grateful for all that you do for all of us. So thank you so much and congratulations.
2: Uh, thank you both so much. Thank I, you. I'm just such big fans of both of yours and thanks so much for having us here.
0: Oh, you guys are so sweet. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. It was truly pleasure of a lifetime and thank you everybody for listening.
1: And now here's an excerpt of dolls of our lives, why we can't quit American girl. Enjoy.
2: We don't want to brag, but one day in 2019, we got a table at an exclusive cafe. While everyone we knew was at work, we sat midday drinking tea and eating finger sandwiches. We barely knew how to act. As we sat among little girls in dresses and tiaras, we were concerned we didn't meet the dress code. Suddenly filled with doubt, we turned to ask our tablemates if we were fitting in, but they weren't talking. Considering that we were surrounded by 18-inch dolls and booster seats, that wasn't too much of a surprise. Where were we? at the American Girl Cafe, of course. We were just two adult women historians and podcast hosts casually spending a weekday wandering around the American Girl store with a photographer in tow. We were trying to give it's not a big deal energy the entire trip, but the truth was, it was a big deal, and we had zero chill. We'd started a podcast that year to relive the American Girl series book by book. What started out as a fun project to do together after finishing grad school hit the airwaves that February as content we truly thought only our friends and family might consume. Maybe our parents, strangers to technology, would respond with praise akin to their commentary on our childhood art projects. That's nice, girls, they'd tell us. I don't know what a podcast is or what you're doing, but I will put it right up here on the fridge the pride we'd feel would be overwhelming. Imagine our surprise when we found there were actually a lot of people who wanted to relive the books with us and talk about all things American Girl. That's how we scored a VIP invite to the American Girl store in New York City. Our college alumni magazine arranged a guided visit where their photographer could take pics of us for a story. Nothing says take pride in your school like a story on two historians who abandoned academia to make a doll podcast. We brought our recorder along to, as influencers might say, create content. Listening back on that day, all we can hear is our total state of wonder. We couldn't believe our good fortune. And as people who had not visited the store often, Allison had been to one before, or ever, Mary had not, We were amazed by the sights and sounds of the store that some parents may describe as sensory overload and expensive. We saw a clinic for dolls needing what Goop might call rejuvenation, a hair salon for dolls needing an assist after getting some DIY haircuts, the cafe where we would dine with the dolls of our choice, and more. As elder millennials, we had aged out of American Girl by the time stores popped up across the country beginning in 1998 with the flagship Chicago store. Our access to American Girl came solely from its still-legendary catalog. Instead of having high tea in a cafe with trays and china, including a plate for Allison's Molly doll, we had imaginary meals for our dolls at home or attended birthday parties with friends where we were invited to dress in historical costumes. We also loved the books, which were grouped into six formulaic titles per historic character. The pose of the characters walking across the cover and smiling out at us is iconic and will live in our minds forever. Sitting in the cafe, we tried to explain to the photographer what American Girl was all about and what it had meant to us. So much of it is hard to explain to a newbie. How can you tell a stranger that imagining you too lived on the prairie in 1854 helped you navigate life as a nine-year-old in the 1990s? Or that some of your first lessons in friendship came from watching how fictional girls forged friendships with one another in the imagined past of the books? When we met as adults, just talking about these things instantly brought us closer and was important in our friendship. The relationship between these imaginary girls and our girlhoods felt so vital and obvious to people who lived it, but was harder to explain to people who hadn't. Thank you for listening
0: to this clip provided to you by Macmillan Audio. To hear more, look for this title wherever audiobooks are sold.